Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Hey, House family. Come on, was that not an awesome story by William Hood? As he began to walk through his process on how God has begun to fuel his purpose, we right now are on vacation. We are taking off nine days. I've never taken off nine days. So pray for me that I can vacay well. Someone else that I feel like is stepping in to fueling their purpose is the Clausings. We are so excited about them. I know that you have heard that they are transitioning and moving to Belize. And what we wanted to do is we wanted Courtney. We felt like it would be great for her to come and talk about her story as God has been moving them. Listen, I've known her since she was in high school. Both Adam and Courtney were on our launch team. They've served at the house for five years since we started, and I believe that you're in for a treat. So lean up. Come on, lean in. Uh, sit up. Get your notepad. Get your phone out, because I believe that God has a word for you. Come on, y'all. Welcome to the stage, Courtney Clausing. Good morning. Thank you so much. Welcome to the house. I am so honored to be before you this morning. Pastor Stephen and Katie, I want to honor them. I want to honor our pastors this morning for the investment that they have made in my life. There is no telling where I would be today without the investment that they made. They were actually my youth pastors when I was in high school, and they called out identity and leadership in me that I did not even know was in me. And so um, as long as I've known them, they have said yes to Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that because they have paved the way for this house to move forward and make Jesus the center of everything we do. They have always said yes to Jesus. Um, They've modeled that saying yes is always worth it, and I honor them for their sacrifice in that. So as many of you know, my family and I will be moving to Belize this next month to continue the ministry of Be the One and to train and disciple leaders who believe that God put them on the planet for a purpose that is bigger than themselves. Guys, I'm so excited about this. This opportunity just um, is such a blessing because the main role that we will get to have is to disciple and love people well. What a fun job is that? So um, I'll be sharing more of my story here in a minute, but just so you know, I'm very passionate that each of you see that God himself wants to fuel your purpose, and God wants to come alongside you. We want to come alongside you here at the house in that goal. This isn't your call to hop on a plane and go to the mission field, I promise. That is not my goal here today, although I would love for every one of you to join us for at least a short-term mission trip in Belize. But my goal here today is that you would see yourself in the bigger story that God is writing and know that God is no respecter of persons. We've said this many times in this series, but if God will do it for me, he'll do it for you. We don't tell stories and testimonies um, for inferiority. No, we tell them to inspire so that you will know that it's true. If God will do it for me, he will do it for you. God has a story for you that is so much bigger than yourself. It is exceedingly and abundantly. What he requires from us is a willing yes. So today I'm here to petition you to give Jesus a willing yes, even if it's a little bit of a weak yes. That's okay. 
Just say yes with him to join him in the process to see the miraculous. So I would like to lay out four keys today that I believe are true when it comes to fueling your purpose. The first one is to choose to join God in the process, to surrender to his plan, do not give up, and to trust God above the circumstances. I know maybe you didn't have a chance to write all those down yet. Don't worry. We will come back to each of them. Well, I'd love to start today with a word and talk about how Jeremiah chose to submit himself to the process. So if you guys would, turn with me to Jeremiah 32.6. Let me set up this story for us. You may have never heard this story before. This story takes place in a time of great rebellion by the people of Israel. You remember how Pastor Stephen was talking about all of the different times of the enslavements of the Jewish people last week? Well, this is one of those times. So Jeremiah has been a prophet warning the people to turn and repent so that they would not be turned over to the Babylonians. Y'all, they did not listen. They mocked him. They tried to kill him. And now he's in prison and the people have been turned over. Um, If there was ever an I told you so moment, this was it. So Jeremiah has already prophesied and warned that Israel is going to be in captivity to the Babylonians for 70 years. However, there is a promise that after 70 years, God will restore his people, Israel, bring back the captives. He promises there will be peace and prosperity in the land that people will once again buy and sell land. So let's pick up here in Jeremiah 32, 6. At that time, the Lord sent the message. He said, your cousin Hanimal, son of Shalom, will come and say to you, buy my field at Anathoth. By law, you have the right to buy it before it's offered to anyone else. Wait a second. Okay, it is like apocalyptic times, y'all. Like not a good time to buy land. Like the market is free falling. Stocks are worth penny on the dollar. Like I would be like, thanks, Cousin Han, for the generous offer, but no thanks. We don't even know what this land's going to look like. I don't even know if I'm going to see this land ever again. So that's what I would do, but let's pick up here and see what the prophet Jeremiah did. So verse 8. Then, just as the Lord had said he would, my cousin Hannibal came and visited me in prison. He said, please buy my field at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. By law, you have the right to buy it before it's offered to anyone else. So buy it for yourself. Then I knew the message I had heard from the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathoth, paying Hanamel 17 pieces of silver for it. I signed and sealed the deed of purchase before witnesses, weighed out the silver, and paid him. So this is not very much money for a field, about $5,000, still a lot for a guy locked up in prison, but basically the cousin is just trying to get rid of the field because he knows it's not going to be worth anything here in a little bit. So pick up here in verse 11. Then I took the sealed deed and the unsealed copy of the deed, which contained the terms and conditions of the purchase. And so basically then they preserved the two copies in pottery jars so they would last a long time. Pick up here in verse 15. This is the promise part. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Someday, people will again own property here in this land and will buy and sell houses and vineyards and fields. So Jeremiah bought the field as an investment, even knowing from the prophecy that the land would be captured by Babylon and there was nothing they could do about it. He also knew the exile would be 70 years. He would not see the fruit of the promise. By all accounts, this was a terrible investment. I mean, this is worse than investing in Blockbuster in the 2000s. He trusted that God would, he trusted God and he did it anyway. Listen. 
We want instant gratification. We want the fruit, and we want it right now. So, I mean, we're going through some crazy times in a global pandemic right now. Let's just put ourselves in this story. I mean, this would be the equivalent to purchasing a restaurant in New York City right before COVID or planning a wedding, dropping thousands of dollars, buying the perfect wedding dress, knowing no one is going to be able to come or buying a gym membership, knowing that all of your classes were going to be virtual (laughs) or purchasing a timeshare in the beautiful land of Italy right before the whole country was shut down. I mean, it looked so foolish, but why did he do it? Jeremiah explained the reason for his purchase. He was making an investment in the future that God had promised. So here's my first thought for you guys. Many times when God makes a promise, it requires our participation. Let me say that one more time. Many times when God makes a promise, it requires our participation. Someday, the exiled survivors of the destruction of Judah would return to the worthless land, and it would again become productive and valuable. Jeremiah had already prophesied that the exile would last for a whole 70 years in chapter 25 and 29, but his purchase was a declaration of faith for the Lord to restore his people to the land. So the promise is the opportunity to join God in the process. I believe the first step in fueling your purpose is choosing to join God in the process. Here's the deal. I think we hate process. Let me explain. I love to buy plants. I like to buy them after Walmart grows them. I like to walk into all things kindred and spend $30 on a plant when the seed costs only 50 cents. Why? Because I don't like the grueling process. I don't want to study about the plant, bring it in when it's cold, water the plant. No, I just want it to look pretty in my house, and I want the fruit, and I want it right now. (laughs) But as we dive into this story, I want us to see that God is a God of process, and he wastes nothing in the process of fueling our purpose. I know many of you have been given promises by God that you have not seen fulfilled yet. So here's the challenge today. Stop waiting on the promise to just happen and start actively saying yes to God. Take a little journey with me, and I'm going to share how he's been writing my story over many years. So in the second grade, I had a heart for my non-believing friends, um, so much so that I bought them Bibles that had their names engraved on the front. The only problem was my three friends were Jewish and they didn't believe in the New Testament and their parents were not happy with my parents. (laughs) The first time I felt the heart tug to be a missionary, I was in the third grade and I heard stories from missionaries that had been in Africa and I heard about people in need and I was ready to go. I went to the library and checked out a Swahili book because I was going to learn it. When I was in high school, I was so excited to go on my first mission trip to Honduras. The only problem was there was a military coup. And although Pastor Stephen still took the youth group, my parents said, no, honey, that's not happening. (laughs) In college, I began to learn about God's heart for the world. I had always known God loved the world. Like John 3, 16, we all learned that. But I begin to see that he wanted to use people to be his hands and his feet in the world to bring love, truth, healing, and the gospel of salvation. I saw myself in the story. I was ready to buy the field, sell everything for the cause. I felt empowered, called, and like I'd finally realized 
more clearly the purpose for why I was created. I remember sitting on the lawn at the Greek theater at the U of A with one of my best friends. We were both contemplating dropping out of college because the call of God in our life felt so strong. We thought that obedience must look radical, and we wanted to be radical. We wanted to give it all. I began to pray the prayer of Isaiah, Lord, here I am, please send me. And I began to share with my friends and my family my desire to go on mission for God. They encouraged me, but almost in unison. It was kind of funny. They urged me to not drop out of school and go to the mission field. They urged me to finish my degree. So I realized that God was probably trying to speak to me through my mentors, and that gave me the confidence I needed to stay put, focus on the goal, keep following Jesus as I waited to see the promise fulfilled. Here's the deal. God gives us passion, but he is more interested in seeing the promise fulfilled than he is my one-time spontaneous, I'll do anything for God. Yes. He is more interested in the lifelong, I will join you on the journey, God, yes. So this journey has been full of challenges and adversity, but God has given it all meaning. And I'm confident that he is always working things out for my good. So I believe the second step of living a life fueled by purpose is surrendering to God's plan. God has taught me that in order to live a life of purpose, I must surrender to his plan and let go of my own plan. When I was a freshman in college, I started to realize he was wanting me to let go of a relationship. I'd become very comfortable in this relationship, and I believed I needed this person. We had been together for six years, and the idea of starting over and um, growing with someone else seemed so impossible. You may have said a prayer similar to the one that I was saying to God. God, there's no way you would let me get this far for nothing. This must be your will. God, you would not let me waste six years. But, of course, God wastes nothing. I feared not being able to heal and move on if I truly follow God and let go. But I knew he was asking me to do it. And every time I prayed, I felt that heart tug from the Holy Spirit. I would rationalize that he was a good guy, he loved God, and honestly, he really liked me. But I had to choose to trust God, that Jesus was trustworthy and his leadership was so much better than mine. I did let go of that relationship, believing God had good things for that person and good things for me, and he wanted me to surrender. See, in order for him to fuel my purpose, I had to surrender to a better plan, his plan. Proverbs 3, 5 through 3, 6 says, In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. See, he has a best path for us. Don't get me wrong. He will always redeem our life if we have chosen a wrong path. We can at any time begin to acknowledge him and trust his path for our life. I know God helped me to navigate that season and choose surrender, and ultimately he led me to Adam. You can applaud for that. Adam had also been called to the nation. So how sweet of God to align our steps, make our path straight. I didn't know that he had been preparing another way for me, but it required for me to take my hands off of the steering wheel. I believe the third thing required to live a life fueled by purpose is to not give up. God has taught me that if I want to live a life full of purpose, I must persevere. This journey is not for the lazy. 
I don't know if any of you guys are Enneagram people. I like to dabble in the personality types, assessing myself and my friends and my family from time to time to time. So if you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm a seven. If you don't, it's okay, don't worry, I will explain. So the seven is called the enthusiast. The short definition for the personality type is the busy, variety-seeking type, spontaneous, versatile, and scattered. <laughs> this describes me pretty perfectly. So you might be able to imagine that this made college a bit of a challenge for me. I loved college. I loved the hustle and the bustle and the social life and the endless po possibilities for growth and the weekly adventures. This was like my dream. <laughs> but when I was accepted into nursing school, I reached a humbling reality that I was not going to coast by making A's any longer. Listen, I don't want to brag, but I was valedictorian in my high school. Now, I'm not going to tell you how many people I graduated with. That's not what's important. <laughs> But now I was in nursing school about to fail out, and I was like, what is happening? I, was, I couldn't seem to pull myself out of the struggle. I was spending countless hours in the library, frustrated that I still wasn't pulling out grades on my tests. I was a leader on campus and in my Christian ministry. Many people looked up to me, and I was about to seriously flunk out. The whole time I was thinking, I wasn't, this isn't even what I wanted to do. God, my idea was to drop out of college and go to the mission field for you. So how is this part of the process? I actually did fail my second nursing school class, which meant I was officially dismissed from the program without readmittance. I was devastated. I ultimately petitioned the board, gathered reference letters from all my clinical instructors, and asked for another chance. Them agreeing to this type of request was pretty unheard of yet they allowed me to come back and retake that class and continue to complete my degree. This was the complete undeserved grace of God. I did not deserve it. I still had to manage the opportunity and persevere to accomplish my goal to graduate nursing school and work as a labor and delivery nurse. During this time, I was diagnosed with a learning disability as I sought out professional help. I look back now and I see that God was paving a way for me to overcome not by my own strength, but by his. Leaning on his strength doesn't mean you don't work. No, you work. It just means leaning on his strength to persevere. One of my all-time favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Proverbs 16, 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Even though it didn't look like this struggle was part of fueling my purpose, I do believe God was equipping me to live a life of perseverance. He was teaching me, do not give up. I believe the fourth key to living a life fueled by purpose is trusting God above the circumstances. In 2017, after graduating nursing school, working my dream job as a labor and delivery nurse, I suddenly found myself in a scary place. I went to a standard dermatology appointment where they removed a spot from my leg, and two days later, I received a phone call that they wanted to see me in the office that business day. They called me back in, and the doctor said they'd found melanoma, and they didn't know if there was more, um, and it would require surgery and treatment and um, removal of lymph nodes to determine if the cancer had spread. This is not the doctor's report you expect at the age of 24, only being married one year. 
I remember laying in bed, terrified that the expense of surgery and possible cancer treatments would drain our bank account and then become a burden on my, my parents and my in-laws. I mean, my parents were just retiring, and just the thought of being a burden and, and them having to endure a cancer diagnosis with me was almost unbearable. My husband was so supportive during this time. He was definitely optimistic, but I knew that melanoma was the most deadly. You see, I had a fr we had a friend who had passed away from rapidly spreading melanoma. Melanoma grows deep sometimes before you ever notice a change, and if it had spread to my lymph nodes, lungs, or other organs, I would be sure to be fighting for my life in the coming days through chemo and radiation. It was over a month from the unwelcome diagnosis to the date of my surgery at MD Anderson where I'd finally find out what the biopsies had to say. I decided, though, to spend my days trusting in the God who had created me instead of allowing the dread of the unknown to overtake me. I knew I had the choice to despair or to choose to hope. I wrote a journal entry in the waiting room at MD Anderson as I sat in a room full of cancer fighters and survivors. I told God, I want to be as beautiful as that confident, tall young lady without any hair who's fighting for her life over there, whether I have to fight this with chemo or not. I told Jesus I would trust him and I would follow him no matter what the outcome was because of his faithfulness. He had been so faithful my entire life and I was so confident that his plan for me was not finished, and I knew he had purpose in this. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. His purpose for you is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. I do not believe that God gave me cancer. Cancer, sickness, death, and depravity are all from the fallen world. They are not God's plan. But I do believe that by God's grace, the cancer was found. He rescued me from death. He spared my life. And he called me to hope in all circumstances. He's been preparing me all along. And because of the merciful way he spared my life, I trust him that as I move my family to another country, he will protect and provide for us there. He was teaching me to trust him no matter how bad the circumstances look. See, God wants us to live a life fueled by purpose, and he wants to be the one to fuel it. Anyone can do it. No one is disqualified. Just because your current assignment doesn't look the way you imagined it doesn't mean that you can't live today on purpose. He doesn't need you to have all the details figured out to get started. No matter where you are on your assignment, you can live today in your God-given purpose. When we start taking steps to say yes to God, choosing to join him in the journey, surrendering to his plan, trusting him in the process, not giving up, we'll begin to see the bigger picture of what we were created for. We'll see the kingdom come in our ordinary days and we'll have doors open to assignments we couldn't have dreamed of. Assignments that are full of purpose and full of promise. I think many of us can relate to that story in Jeremiah and think the circumstances just don't look like a good time to invest. Like why would I pay good money for land that I might not see for 70 years? But what area is God wanting you to invest in today because of the promise? What are you holding back? What is he asking you to pay good money for right now? Something that looks foolish to the world, but it's not foolish to God. Will we be people who live by the Spirit 
and not by the flesh, who live by faith and not by sight, who consider the field and buy it because we trust our king's leadership. Maybe your next yes to God is joining a life group this summer. Maybe you've, had, you've been so worried about finding your purpose that you overlook the opportunity to connect with people in a life group. Maybe you have a lot going on and your circumstances are overwhelming, so it seems like a bad time to connect in life group. But maybe exactly what you need is those life-giving relationships around you that will help to fuel your purpose, even in a time when your circumstances seem overwhelming. See, I've been waiting for a long time for the purpose to be fulfilled in my life. There have been opportunities to skip the process and go do what I knew he called me to do. I mean, we've talked about joining missions agencies many times over the years, but God had a bit better plan. His ways are higher than mine. I'm so glad I've trusted him in the process. I'm so glad that I waited. Will you guys stand with me? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.